CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody. The trade war escalating at a fevered pace this evening. President Trump just moments ago further raising tariffs on Chinese goods in rapid response to China's just this morning, boosting their own tariffs on American goods. Steve Leisman is live at the Fed Summit in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with immediate reaction from one of the biggest central bankers in the world, Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Steve, take it away. Thanks very much, Melissa, here at Jackson Hole with Mark Carney, the Governor of the Bank of England. Uh, Mark, President Trump today uh, escalated tariffs. China escalated tariffs. President Trump escalated. Talk about the global effects of this trade war between the U.S. and China. Well, um, obviously can't comment on just today's effects, but if we take a step back, what's been happening is there's been the direct effects between the U.S. and the U.K., or the U.S. and China uh, of the actual tariffs, and you know, they're starting to get up. Uh, towards potentially over the course of a, a two, three year period, about one percentage point lower for U.S. GDP if they all remain in place. So there's the direct effects. But what's happening globally is uh, a confidence effect uh, on business, uh, business confidence, uh, not just in the U.S. and China, but all across those supply chains and then more broadly, because it's not, as you know, just a series of measures between those jurisdictions. We've had issues with USMCA. We have issues around auto. We have still have issues around steel. We have issues in terms of uh, uh, the technology complex, if I can put it that way. And those effects are at least as material as the direct trade effects. And those effects are impacting all of the economies around the world. Uh, and that's what's starting to happen. And so now that's starting to play into the outlook for the global economy. And whether you're directly involved or not, uh, it, uh, it is impinging on the outlook. And for example, for the UK, it's starting to affect our own. I want to get back to that. I think people need to understand uh, you were the Governor of Bank of Canada before that, Goldman Sachs, um, and played a critical role in the global central banking response to the crisis. So uh, I'm teeing that, that, that background up for the next question, which is, are global central banks, do they have the tools to address the fallout from an extended trade war? And how well are they positioned right now? to address overall global economic weakness? Well, uh, let me start with the second uh, bit, which is that we obviously have less policy room than we did in 2008, uh, or even than we did uh, several years ago. Um, Rates are very low. uh, Certain countries are doing the quantitative easing. So there is less room. The the central bank, the major central bank with the most room is the Fed because of the strength of the U.S. economy. Um, So we have less room, but we do have room, and we do have an ability to use that room. Uh, the judgment has to be is when do you deploy that, uh, that firepower. Um, and the uh, question that's beginning to emerge uh, because of the scale of the trade effects is are a number of central banks going to uh, ease policy uh, for their own reasons and then collectively will that provide an offset. Now the one thing that won't happen is that uh, changing the level of the bank rate in the UK, for example, doesn't change materially the cost of capital for a business in the UK, and certainly not a business in the US or elsewhere. Uh, You know, 25 basis points doesn't make a difference there. What it can make a difference to, though, is demand in the UK uh, and uh, demand in other jurisdictions. And it's that uh, effect which also provides uh, some stimulus. So uh, the direct effects, not just of the tariffs, but I really would emphasize the uncertainty that is being created 
by this um, uh, the series of measures that are happening and happening in a way that is um, is is uh, somewhat unpredictable. So we have our set of problems that you say we've shipped to you. You have your set of problems, which Fed Chairman Jerome Powell mentioned today, yeah. Brexit, as being an issue for the United States. I want to ask you if you can be sure to keep your problems over there, but I don't think that's the right question. Um, how much has it affected the UK? Um, is it substantially responsible for the negative second quarter outcome that you had in your growth numbers? And do you foresee that continuing? Yeah, okay. Well, there's two things. Yeah, the short answer to the question is yes. Um, uh, but uh, let me break it into two parts, which is in the very short term, the first quarter was a little stronger than people would have expected. Second quarter is negative. Third quarter is going to be, we think, is going to be positive. But the underlying pace of growth is relatively weak. That up and down between those various quarters, those are companies building inventories in the first quarter because they thought there might be trade disruption, running them down in the second quarter, the auto uh, plants doing the same thing, and then knock-on effects in the third quarter. It's noise, it's real activity, but it's noise in terms of the underlying pace of growth in the economy. Now let me step back to the second bit, which is how's the UK economy doing. Since the referendum, it's done pretty well. Uh, we've got unemployment at rates you know, lowest in 45 years. Wages are growing just south of 4%. Inflation's basically at target. Uh, business investment, and, and all of that has happened in a world where there's been a lot of uncertainty because of Brexit uh, and what shape it's going to take. It's an analogy to the trade war. This gets to what we were talking about a moment ago in terms of, well, what can monetary policy do in those circumstances? Well, what we did in the UK was after the referendum, because we thought there'd be brought uncertainty, we brought them, we brought them right. down, we did a variety of things, and that has supported other aspects of the economy. Now, well, business investment is actually running almost 25 percentage points below its previous trend. Businesses in the UK have quite reasonably said, wait a minute, I'm going to wait until, if they have any exposure to Europe, either upstream or downstream, they've decided to wait and see, well, what are the new rules of the game going to be? And see, we, to go back to go globally, that's, yeah. that's part of what's happening worldwide is people are saying, well, okay, well, I've got exposure to Chinese supply chain or U.S. Let me see where this uh, settles out, and that's why it's having a bigger effect. I have to ask a direct question here. You only have 75 basis points of ammunition left in your primary tool, your, uh, your interest rate. So it looks like you've been stubbornly holding on to that. Is that ammunition you're holding on to in case there's a hard Brexit? Well, no, two things. There's a couple of paths the UK economy can take. There's at least three. One is there's a deal. Um, and there's a deal, and some degree of that uh, economic relationship, deep economic relationship, is retained. Now, in that world, we're starting from basically at full employment, uh, inflation at target, uh, businesses with a lot of firepower on their own balance sheets, good financial conditions, and we're likely to see some of the catch-up of that investment there in the economy pick up. That's a world, I know it doesn't fit with the theme of the day, no, no, but no, that's no, a world I'm, where actually we probably would be raising interest rates right. at a limited, you know, limited pace, gradual extent, uh, you know, mm -hmm. vice versa, but uh, you get the point. Now, in a world where uh, there's no deal and there's no transition, the other extreme, uh, which is a possibility, mm -hmm. not, a, not a given, but a possibility. Um, then in that world, uh, yeah, we would expect that we're going to lose demand from Europe in the short term. Uh, there'll probably be a, uh, uh, an adjustment domestically as well, uh, consumer spending, so demand goes down. Uh, we'll have to make a judgment in that world because the supply capacity of the economy will also go down. Because this is an economy that's very well integrated to Europe, mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to take a while. British businesses are very flexible, labor market is flexible, but you've got to redeploy that. That takes some mm -hmm. time. 
And so it's the balance of those two effects. On balance, I've said this before, my personal view is we probably would ease in that world, uh, uh, that scenario, but it's, but it's not a given, and it depends on how, how it shakes out. So changing gears, last issue, um, Governor Carney, I really appreciate your time and thoughts on this. You dropped a bombshell in the luncheon there. That's the way I was up. It's almost like a mic drop. You are exiting this job, exiting almost it. like a mic drop, and you said we need to go to a global virtual currency. It's a 23-page speech. It's very heavy. Give us the thumbnail. Why? Did why you can't just read the, I want to know. Did you just read the conclusion of the speech? Steve, no, I read. read I read 14 pages, pages okay, and then good. I jumped okay, to the okay. conclusion. So the so, so so what's the point? Give us the thumbnail. Why can't the dollar be the global currency? Okay, the dollar is the global currency. We know that. The challenge is that the U.S. share of the global economy has been uh, reducing. Uh, the dollar's share of payments, not just financial assets, but payments. A lot of payments between countries that have nothing to do with the U.S. are in dollars. And what happens in situations like we're in today, where the U.S. economy, to its credit, is relatively strong, is doing better, and the Fed has been doing the right thing, which is, uh, you know, they've adjusted policy, they tightened policy as it was strengthening. Uh, now they're making, you know, the Fed is doing the right thing, but they have adjusted and policy is relatively strong. That means rest of world policy is, strong, is tighter than it needs to be, and that feeds back on the U.S. economy in a way. Uh, that ultimately slows this economy, um, and it leads to a substandard outcome. And in a world where you only have limited policy space, it's a dangerous place to be. And it's so the trade issues we're talking about are reinforced by the structure of the monetary system. Now, I mean, you've asked a big question, so just I give me have. a second to. But, right. okay. but now the issue is, you don't just jump to something new overnight. Um, and the uh, what we want in a multipolar world, I think we'd agree that we've got European engine, we've got the Chinese engine, we've got the U.S. engine of this economy. Multipolar world, you need a multipolar currency. The question is, how do you get there? And I laid out some ideas of how you would get there. And the bottom and line, Governor, is that is that all of the pressure on the different in growth around the world would not fall on the dollar exchange rate. Yeah. It would be spread out if it, if it was a global basket of currencies. What it you're would saying. be spread out if it was a global basket of currencies. Uh, it's better for the system as a whole. It, it's better. To, it raises that equilibrium level of interest rates. Right. It gives central banks more policy, but it gives people who are watching uh, greater returns on, uh, on their savings. Well, certainly worth thinking about. Governor Carney, thanks All for right. joining us. Thanks and for good me. luck through the Brexit process, the trade wars, and uh, the growth issues out there. Thanks, Steve. Thanks very much. Back to you guys. In, uh, I guess you're in Anglewood Cliffs right now. Uh, we're at the NASDAQ. It's a long list of things <laughs> to wish him well on. <laughs> Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman with the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Uh, Michael, what do you make of this uh, with the, in the prism of uh, the most recent ramp up in trade tensions with China? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things he just said, which I found it kind of interesting myself, is he was just talking about how central banks and maybe the Fed have less basically wiggle room or ability. Uh, now than they had perhaps before the credit crisis. I'm not entirely sure that that's true. We have to first think about how much of an impact we think Fed can have and what are we actually talking about them trying to mitigate. Is it an issue of trying to support uh, you know, GDP in the United States? Are we trying to focus on employment? Are we trying to focus on inflation? Are we trying to focus on asset prices? I mean, that's what we're usually talking about on this show, right? Um, I think it's kind of interesting because, of course, we've seen unconventional policy. And when you have unconventional policy like QE, then I'm not 100% sure that they don't have a lot of latitude. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not sure I want to see us go back to that. I ho certainly hope we don't need to. 
But I think that when we have unconventional policy that we can implement, there is a lot of room. Uh, there's almost unlimited room. So I would basically, suggest. just thinking about the amount you can cut—that's that's deceptive because there's a there entirely are a lot more deceptive. Tools. That's right. Right. We can reverse course on the balance sheet, I suppose. Exactly. Right. That would be another tool. But remember, the magnitude of what we were facing in 08—maybe we had more tools—but the magnitude of the crisis was. This is nothing remotely close to that. But one thing that I thought was interesting that he said, just thinking about Brexit as sort of a, not that much of a microcosm, a smaller version Mm -hmm. of our, you have a lot of uncertainty there, right? You have a date that might be certain, but you don't know how it's going to shake out. And they are the fifth largest economy in the world. So that'll be interesting to see. The point that I thought was interesting, he talked about business investment being down 25%. We haven't seen that here but that, that's where I'm afraid that uncertainty creates uncertainty. I'd much rather have a, a deal, even if it's not a great deal. Um, even, I'd even rather have less back and forth, you know, just, um, I guess it seems to me the actions haven't been so well thought out. Right. And that, I wish that were not the case. I think the president think, does himself well, a disservice, out, particularly because he cares about so the market. One of the things that keeps, uh, you know, our economy strong, obviously, we have to focus on what's going on on the business side, business investment, and so on. And obviously, decision makers are going to want to have at least some clarity, some kind of a path ahead. And when you have absolutely no idea which direction you're going to lurch in next, that's actually what jeopardizes. It's not the magnitude of the tariffs necessarily that right. upsets me. It's what worries me is decision-making that has much greater magnitude than the tariffs would. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. Here's what's coming up next. Stocks get slammed today, but if you're betting on a bounce, might go as a way to buy the dip for less. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. The trade war volley is coming fast and furious this evening. In the last hour, President Trump boosting tariffs on $250 billion in products to 30% from 25%, and tariffs on another $300 billion will now be 15%. That's up from 10%. Stocks already getting slammed today with the Dow falling more than 700 points at its lows after China just this morning imposed new tariffs on American goods. Still, if you're betting on a short-term recovery rally come Monday, Mike is laying out the best way you can buy this dip. He's over at the Plasma with his call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so one of the reasons why people might buy a dip, obviously, is rebalancing your portfolio. If you have a mixture of fixed income and equities, if we're seeing the fixed income portfolio go up and the equities portion go down, you might be looking to rebalance. So that would be one of the reasons why people might be looking to buy a dip. Generally, we're long equities, and you know I've never seen a prolonged bear market where the, everybody in the business was doing well. Generally, we're long equities. Generally, the economy is growing. And one final point, even if the news that we've had, bad as it has been, turns worse, it's not uncommon for us also to see bear market rallies. And we are seeing considerable volatility, and relative to the volatility we're seeing, 
we are not actually seeing options premiums as high as they might otherwise be. To give you some perspective, we've averaged just under 1.5% intraday moves since the beginning of the month. The VIX sitting around 20 should be probably 50% higher than that when you're seeing moves of that kind of magnitude. So trying to take advantage of the fact that options premiums have not necessarily gone up as much as we might otherwise think, and we're going to try to make a bullish bet, maybe looking for a pop back up to around the 300 level, so a modest upside move. The trade I think that one could make here, I was looking out to September. You could buy the 295, 300 call spread. You'd be spending about a buck 20 to put that trade on, so the payoff is going to be better than 3 to 1 if we get a move up to 300, which, by the way, is approximately where we were at the beginning of this month. And, you know, this is something that works both ways. If you find yourself over-allocated to stocks, you can also look to spy options as a potential way to hedge because, again, implied volatility probably should be higher given the moves that we're seeing. Karen, what do you think of this trade? Uh, I think it's interesting. I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see things bounce right. We could get different kinds of, you know, just as we got rhetoric that isn't good, we could certainly get rhetoric that is good at, G, at G7. So, Mike, would you, would you be planning on sort of selling, not waiting to the end, but sort of just selling this spread on a, on a bounce? Selling it on a tweet, maybe? Selling I think probably. Exactly. Because that's actually probably all that it's going to take. I mean, we're really getting whipsawed around, I think, really what's going on in this particular tariff battle that we're seeing is we're getting a tweet, and then China's reacting. All it really would take is something from Washington, not Beijing, I think, for U.S. equities to get a little bit of a bounce. Some sort of easing of the tensions. I think anything like that could cause a little bit of a relief rally, even if we don't get a permanent fix. And that's what this trade really is, is you're trying to play for some kind of a bounce off of here. If you really thought that we were going to see an all-clear sign anytime soon, you'd be comfortable buying stocks. I'm not comfortable doing that. Your inclination is that you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually put this trade on. I, well, I would put this trade on and probably will put this trade on. We'll see how the... That's one quick thing. I mean, we're Friday night. News is coming out fast and furious. It'll be very interesting to see where we open up on Monday. If the market somehow makes up the gap that we saw lower this afternoon, this trade may not make sense by that point. So it, obviously we have to basically play it minute to minute and see where things are. If the futures I'm are higher Sunday night... This trade may not make sense on Monday morning. And futures could be higher on Sunday night, and then they, you know there is a whole day in China during which the Chinese could actually respond to what right. President Trump has already tweeted this evening. I mean, a lot can change between now and Monday morning. Yeah, it's funny that a trade we feel like, oh, I have you know 12 hours where I'm not able to trade it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, well, like that, right. Uh, right. Given what it, well, you do have time though. It's a September mm-hmm. expiration, so you have whatever t- I don't know, 15, 18 trading days to have it work. All right. Up next, escalating trade tensions, taking down stocks. If you're long one of the best performing sectors this year, we'll tell you how you can do some damage control. Don't go anywhere. Much more options action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Options Action. President Trump this evening hiking tariffs on billions of dollars worth of Chinese goods. This comes after China this morning issued new tariffs on billions of dollars of American goods. The markets got slammed today after this morning's announcement from China. If you're wondering how to hedge some of the gains you already made on sectors that had managed to be recent winners, Mike Coe is here with a playbook. Mike. Yeah, so I'm taking a look at the consumer staples sector. I mean, this is obviously one of the best performing groups. It is a flight to safety type of an issue. The thing that makes me a little bit nervous is that, number one, we obviously have had a number of consecutive weeks of very poor performance in equities, relatively good performance in this sector. And the sector, to me, doesn't look particularly cheap. If we take a look at it, for example, on a price-to-earnings basis or an absolute prices basis, it's basically trading at all-time highs. P.E. is very close to its 10-year highs. And if you take a look at it in other ways, like you know, enterprise value to EBITDA, it's basically at all-time highs. And this is a situation that I think leaves one a little bit vulnerable. It was a safety trade. I'm not sure it's as safe at these levels. But the nice thing is that staples, because of low volatility, and as I've mentioned, options premiums are not as elevated as they probably should have been anyway, I think it does set up well if you have gains in this area to consider putting on a hedge specifically. I was taking a look at the October 60-55 put spread. That's spread would cost about $1.25. That's the kind of ratio that we're typically looking at. It was trading just under 60 when I was looking at this. So this is protection that's going to kick in pretty quickly. And by the way, if you're holders of names in the space, many of them are good dividend payers. You'll be expecting to get dividends before this thing expires. That's actually helping to finance a portion of this trade, an important consideration there, because it, this one's going to pay you know 30-some-odd cent dividend if you happen to own XLP. Uh, and so that'll actually drop the price of the underlying. So that's a good way to hedge it, I think. Do you like this trade, Karen? I do. I think it's interesting. I think that, um, I mean, there's a lot of volatility near it, which I guess is exactly what you're trying to capitalize on. So I like it. I think it's interesting. In terms of staples as an area of defense, Mike, in general? Well, I mean, it's sort of proven itself already as far sure. as that goes. Sure. I mean, this is one of those areas, along with utilities and some of these other spots that people have been looking at as a safe haven. But things that are safe havens don't remain so forever. And obviously, if we get any kind of a bounce or some kind of a reversal in the news flow, you could see some weakness here, certainly on a relative basis. And I don't think it costs much ahead, so why not? All right. It is time now for the final call. Your last word from the options pit. Mike Coe, what do you say? Options prices should be higher. If you're making your directional bets, do not use credit spreads. Mm. Karen Pineman. Yes. I would probably be looking to sell some Target Nova 110s. They don't have earnings by the time of expiration, so you don't get that volatility. But I think, you know, it protects you almost 10 points up from here. It's had a great run. I like the stock, but I feel like the options are a little pumped. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. Catch us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, do not go anywhere. We've got full coverage of tonight's of today's big sell-off tonight. Markets and turmoil starts at 6 p.m. right after this quick break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.